welcome to ice cream conversation i'm your host bibi balogun and yes this is the bill bibi but then this is a subsidiary of bill bibi it's a new segment i'm calling ice cream conversations under ice cream conversations everything that is not part of the mainstream bill bibi will be here i feel like i needed to make a new niche where everything that was not under the things that BLB was known for, like social commentary, things like that, will come under Ice Cream Conversation. And on, for this first episode, I brought my friend. My friend's name is Pino, and we're going to discuss the James Town Massacre. Pino is top tier. Pino is someone I really respect and someone that has made an impact on me, and I really hope that you guys will enjoy it. So, this episode is a two-part series. The first part, I will be taking a brief introduction to what Jonestown Massacre really entailed. And Pino would be telling us more about how the Jonestown Massacre relates to us and how it was really, really, really more than what it just seemed on the surface. I really hope you guys enjoyed it because this episode was... It took a long time coming. I had exams and everything it was just so very hard to really put out this episode and i really hope you guys enjoyed it and thank you so very much for the love and support and all the inquiries of when the new episode was coming out i'm sorry it took this long but i really hope you enjoyed this ciao hello and welcome to iceworms conversation on wlbb and today we're talking about the jonestown massacre as I said, I'm taking the first part, which is a, a little bit of the story, to give you a background as to what Jonestown Massacre is, before my friend Pino tells you more about the aftermath and how it may affect you and I, and how the story is just not what it seems. So, on November 18, 1978, the People's Temple's founder, Jim Jones, he led hundreds of his followers at a mass suicide at the agricultural commune in a remote part of South American nation called Guyana. Many of Jones' followers willingly ingested a poison-laced punch, while others were forced to do so at gunpoint. The total death toll at Jonestown that day was 909, and a third of those who perished were children. Little children, guys. The Jim Jones, Jim Jones on its on his own, was a very charismatic churchman. He established the People's Temple, a Christian sect in Indianapolis in 1915. He preached against racism, and his values were more of a communalism kind of values that was attractive to a lot of people as of then. And his um and his preaching against racism and integrated congregation attracted many African Americans because you know as of then there was a very widespread of racism in America then. In 1965, he moved the the group his followers to Northern California, settling at Uka. In 1971, then he moved them to San Francisco. In the 1970s, his church was accused by the media of financial fraud. Physical abuse of his members and mistreatment of children. You think with all these people who stop coming to his church? No, people still won't. In response to this moving criticism, the increasingly paranoid joins. He invited his congregation to move to him to Guyana. He called that their paradise. He said Guyana was going to be a place where everybody was going to be freely integrated, where it was supposed to be at a little community heaven. It was where it was supposed to be where paradise on earth was going to be 
So, three years earlier, before the group moved to Guyana, a small group of his followers had traveled to their tiny nation in Guyana to set up what would become Jonestown on the tract of the jungle. You see, Jonestown did not turn out to be the paradise their leaders promised. The temple workers had to work long days in the field and were subjected to harsh punishment if they questioned Jones' authority. So, their pastor went from being a pastor, their father, to being a fucking dictator. Then their passports home were confiscated, their letters home were censored, they could not even send letters to their members at home. And their members were encouraged to inform each other, they're like, guy, if you snitch, you get reward. But then, if you do not, if you do not snitch, you are going to be forced to attend white nights. White nights were long, lengthy meetings that Jones himself, he, um, that he called. But then, Jones was hiding in a declining mental state. This guy was literally addicted to drugs. And he was convinced, like all paranoid freaks, that the United States government and others were out to destroy him because he is so holy, so nice, that people were lying against him and the United States government definitely wanted to kill a good, strong, upstanding citizen like him. Then he required his temple members during the White Nights. I told the White Nights were the nights that Jones would call meetings and... This meeting will run late into the night. And he required temple members at this white night to participate in mock suicide drills. Like, literally, you had to participate. Okay, if something happened like this, how are we going to die? How are we going to commit suicide? Are you going to die like this? Or like this? Or like this? Yeah, so the people had to participate in these mock suicide drills. Then in 1978, a former group of a group of former temple members that have already seen that, hmm, I like, this is what's happening here. And the concerned relatives of the court members still in Guyana convinced U.S. Congressman Leo Ryan, a Democrat of California, to travel to Jonestown to investigate the settlement. And so he did. On November 17, 1979, Ryan arrived in Jonestown with a group of journalists and other observers. At first, the visit went well. You see, before Leo came, before Leo Ryan came, Jim Jones has already told his members that this is how you're supposed to behave. They already had mock trials as to what they were going to say, how they were going to dress, how the entire place was going to be. It was as if God himself was coming to inspect them that day. All the unmentionables were taken outside. Everything was pick and span. So when Leo Ryan came, the visits went well. Everybody said, oh, we would never want to leave this place. This place is literally heaven. So, yeah, Ryan believed them. But the next day, as he was about to leave, several Jonestown residents, the ones that are like, I'm tired of this suffering and this pain, they approached Leo and told him, Alaya, as you are going, please let's follow you. So this angered Jones because ah, if one person is leaving, then two people will leave the next day. Then three people, before you know, United States will send a, will send a plane and all his followers will be left and he's going to be left a discreet, lonely old man. So, Jones became distracted at the defection of his followers, and one of Jones' lieutenants attacked Ryan with a knife. Ryan is the congressman with a knife. The congressman escaped this incident unharmed, but then Jones ordered Ryan and his companions to be ambushed and killed at the airstrip as they attempted to leave. You see, Jones allowed those people that wanted to defect, he allowed them to go with Ryan. But then he secretly told people to go and ambush them at the airstrip. And so he killed the congressman. And about a few people survived. 
just a very minute set of people survived because probably the way they shot them was not in fatal areas so they survived so the congressman and four others were murdered as they were boarding their tattered plane you see so this really made um jones he made him more paranoid then he called a white afternoon if let me say white afternoon so back in jonestown jones commanded everyone to gather in the main pavilion and he said that what they were going to do was going to be a revolutionary act you see jones told these people that see we've killed a congressman and when the united states comes to investigate they'll not say it says this person that killed a congressman they'll say it's people's temple that killed a congressman so you are as guilty as i am as guilty so all of us are guilty now so what are we going to do now? We're going to call it a revolutionary act. Guess what the revolutionary act was? Yes, suicide. The youngest member of the People's Temple were the first to die. As parents and nurses used syringes to drop a mix of cyanide, sedatives, and powdered fruit juice into the children's throats. And then adults were lined up to drink poison, the poison laced concoction. And anger surrounded the pavilion. You see, the parents were going to kill their children. The parents were forced to kill their children because their daddy, their pastor, their father told them that, yes, this is the right thing to do. This is a revolutionary act to do. This one manipulated them that since we've killed the U.S. congressman and the and there's nothing we can do, U.S. would definitely come for us. It's better for us to die than for them to come and kill us. So, all the adults all drank this concussion and they all died. You see, Jones being the son of a bitch he was, he didn't drink this thing. He had one of the armed men shoot him in his head. So, he was too, he was too good to die like the rest of the people. So, he had people shoot him in his head. The fucker was too much of a coward to die by himself. But then he had another person shoot him. When the Chinese official arrived at Jonestown compound the next day, they found it carpeted with hundreds of bodies and Mary perished with their arms around each other. A few residents managed to escape into the jungle as the suicide took place with less than several dozen more of Temple members, including several of Jones' sons who previously were in another town. They went to play football with people of Guyana. I mean, they went to play basketball with people of Guyana so they didn't die. But then, yeah, Jonestown killed all these people. Jones killed all these people because he was a paranoid fucker. You know, the sad thing is that his ending speech was what got me the most. Let me read what he said for you at the end. Lay down your life with dignity. Don't lay down with tears and agony. I tell you, I don't care how many screams you hear. I don't care how many anguished cries. Death is a million times more preferable than 10 more days of this life. If you knew... If you knew what was ahead of you, if you knew, you'd be glad to be stepping over. If we can live in peace, then let us die in peace. We said, 1,000 people who said, we don't like this world. We don't like this world is. Take our lives from us. We, we laid down. We got tired. We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide, protesting the conditions of this inhumane world. That was the last recorded speech of Jim Jones. This man made death seem so righteous. Suicide makes suicide seem so righteous. So, so revolutionary, so powerful. 
You know, I feel like since it is this man that is literally coercing because they were forced at gunpoint to during this signing and to commit suicide. I feel like it is no longer suicide. This is now a mass murder. Jim Jones was a mass murderer. My friend Pina will be taking the next part of this series. And I really hope you enjoyed this series. It has been a long time coming, as I said. Thank you. I love you. Bye. Alright, um, once again, my name is Penny Lukuchuku and I appreciate BB, the host of Bear with BB podcast, for having me. I am discussing the Jonestown massacre and um, its implications, right? The ways it's still relevant, the things we can extract out of it that is still useful even in our contemporary society. And believe me, there's a lot. Because while we are hoping such a situation may not repeat itself or would not repeat itself, the pattern that causes it still exists even now. You know, when I first listened to the audio, it was the 40 minute audio where you hear Jim Jones begin to persuade his people the, his followers uh to commit suicide i felt very terrible and sad and disturbed not only because of the incident in itself which was enough you know to be heartbreaking but also because you see how you you see the state of mind that these people existed in that opened them up to such manipulation and you look even now and realize that there is a very good number of people who are still gullible enough to be done dirty like that because you see the the real work what happened in that incident is not just and i feel like for the sake of recap the jonestown massacre was where jim jones a sort of leader for lack of a better word succeeded in convincing up to 900 of his followers most of them adults and their children to commit suicide as a way out of their predicament yeah and the question i ask myself is what went wrong how did it happen how did one man build that kind of influence over such a number of people but then i i believe also that the problem is not so much what he did the problem is in fact more important than that and i'm not saying it to excuse his action because it's a very terrible thing and even if he was alive he should have faced the consequences but beyond what he did it's important to ask what state of mind were these people in that allowed them to be exploited they were adults a good number of them were not forced to drink the poison he just simply kept talking and talking and painting a picture of hopelessness to them amongst other things that they yielded to him you see in that video at a certain point when you the audio rather when you listen to it you see how it starts you see him first of all start to talk about how there's no way forward you see them you see some people initially resisting you see the hesitation but then as he persists as he keeps building you start to see them slowly submit at some point you see them actually speaking one after the other and appreciating him for all that he did for them so far for even bringing them to that point and you just have to ask yourself what kind of conditioning was happening 
So you see, the, the important question is, what state of mind were these people in that allowed them to be exploited? And you see, that's the problem with being brainwashed. Because a good amount of the time, you are unaware through the process. Now, I'm fairly certain that if you had met the same people at a much earlier stage of their life and you told them, see, the way you're going to die is that someone is going to convince you to commit suicide as a way to end your problems. I'm certain that they would not have agreed. They would not have believed. They would have been so sure that they are not going to submit to such. So what changed? How did it happen? And that's what makes it sad. Because you come to love someone so much, whether it's a public figure or a person you're intimate with, that you become willing to do anything for the person. You're convinced that everything you're doing is an expression of your your free will and choice towards them when it's not. And you see, on the issue of how it happens, I believe that the problem is not so much um, religion or culture or all the other things people argue are the tools to being manipulated. These things are more or less tools, as we say, they are not the real reason. I believe that it's simply or is majorly about need. You see, once any group of people, once a person has a need that grows until they obsess over it once they need something very badly it creates a vacuum that if someone feels it or someone pretends to feel it they will find themselves subconsciously yielding to the person and it is how subtle that this submission process happens that is the reason for concern because you know most times when we think of someone who will do something as atrocious as getting 900 people to kill themselves at his command we think it's someone whose um evil will be loudly evident in their actions where you see a man like jim jones was anti-religion he argued against religion on the basis that religion exploited the masses he was a big advocate of racial equality he was anti-capitalist he was um, a believer in a classless society summarily all the things that were considered to be ills of their society as at that time he stood against them but you see what this man was simply doing was that he was exploiting the people's need to rise above being oppressed the people's need to rise above being taken advantage of their desire to be accepted and that's the most that's the more interesting thing about it because when i talk about needing something so obsessively i'm not really talking about something demonic i'm not saying need in itself is demonic oftentimes they're not even superficial they, they could be moral there could be something so close to our sense of uh, our sense of being ourself our, our sense of well-being like these people for instance who strongly needed a better world their needs were moral but yet so you see that when we realize that exploitation first starts from a vacuum within us you see a good number of the people and i'm going to use this example because i believe that a a large demography of people who listen to me are nigerians blacks Uh, a good number of people in jim jones the jonestown community were black people and the reason they were there was because they needed desperately to not feel discriminated against they needed desperately to not be taken advantage of and then when they had someone who was promising them an equal society they found themselves yielding to his influence so you see when we realize that exploitation starts from a, a vacuum within us that the person can manipulate we learn to prevent exploitation not only by trying to identify manipulators but by being more self-aware of what is it in us that can be manipulated
and i believe this is the moment now to be introspective the question is uh what do we need so badly that it is almost an obsession i mean right now and the times we live in is oddly similar because we have a need we are grouping ourselves in this 21st century in 2021 we are grouping ourselves based on our needs people want to be a part of something a movement an ideology a school of thought there's a, a prevalence of a, a prevalence of tags of categorizations identity politics oh you're conservative you're liberal you are um i'm trying to not be more specific than this the point though is whatever it is that you believe in and whatever need that your belief assuages if you're a female for instance that passionately believes in gender equality and allow me to use this example and then this belief satisfies your need to be respected and not to be condescended upon on the basis of your gender is a very noble thing it's an upright thing to pursue and to believe but while you're believing or while you're pursuing this make sure that it does not become an obsession because even if they are very moral it could set us up regardless i mean back then people desperately wanted racial and class equality it the need opened them up to a point that it cost them their life today we could be wanting the same things i want racial equality or uh, because i'm a black man in the kind of society we live in i want gender equality i'm male so i may not particularly um relates very intimately to certain experiences of sexism but for the sake of my daughters in future for the sake of my mother for the sake of the female friends i've come to love amongst other things for the sake of a better world i want to to mount a siege against abuse in general i want a better nigeria i want liberation from the manipulations of religion wealth whatever the point is let's never let these needs become so internalized that it starts to rob us of that mental balance that allows us to remain aware and immune to being manipulated remember that the danger here is that you never even know that you started shifting from rationality to prejudice and you've opened yourself up to be manipulated even if your role model even if the people you look up to in your movement in your ideology and all that are fighting for what you think is your shared cause try to stay aware 900 people didn't know that their hero was in fact going to be the cause of their death until they died and so whatever ideologies we are allowing ourselves to buy into let's make sure we are not buying into any ideology because of a desperation are we shifting to the extreme left or right the icons of our movement are we blindly following them or can we still know when they air while we continue to fight for what we believe in it's important as individuals to also fill our vacuums up more and more let's separate our need from our purpose if for instance you are abused at some point and you've come to pick up advocacy to give you that sense of personal purpose it's important to still heal otherwise that scar that need for healing could manifest wrongly and then you'll find yourself giving to hate of any particular group of people that closely resemble your assaulter and then if anyone sees that vacuum then if anyone sees that need and they manipulate it they could get you to do questionable things in your desperate attempt to fill it up they could recruit you into um, their army preaching intolerance or using you to propagate hate as a form of defense the point i'm making is understandably so we are creatures of need but it's important to be self-aware enough 
to know when we have a, a very strong need that opens us up to being taken advantage of it's important to know when the thing we are most passionate about is being inspired from for instance a personal experience that could make us biased that makes us vulnerable it's important to um push for a better society but we should make sure that we are discovering certain things for ourselves we are not submitting ourselves to a process where someone takes advantage of us takes advantage of our need and the reason is important to know this is because it's happening more and more and more certain people come to understand that when they want to wield influence all they need to do is they take a course they preach it they, they, they build a following around themselves and then you know they convert people who are there because of a need they convert them to soldiers and then these people are defending their interests no matter what these people are fighting for them without their lives being better there is no value add in the equation and if we can if we can be aware of this it becomes easier for us to identify for instance when someone is becoming selfish the, the person we look up to the person we admire when they are becoming irrational we would not try to defend any of their actions when we know fundamentally that it's wrong we will still be able to maintain a sense of objectivity a, a sense of balance rationality so yeah if there's anything that i, I picked from the jonestown massacre is this Let's identify what our needs are. Let's know very well that these are the things that are capable of putting us in an exploitable situation. So that when someone, for instance, comes and the person is promising us a way out, the person is promising us a, a better future, the minute we find ourselves subconsciously jumping towards the idea, we are able to identify it and tell ourselves, wait. Now, I know, for instance, that I'm coming from a place where... Uh, I have marginalized so much on this basis does that mean it simply means that if someone is promising me an alternative i'll be more eager to jump into it so i need to first of all calm down and ask myself in as much as yes this has been my experience this solution that the person is promising this way out is it really going to do me better or is it going to do more damage so yeah that's what i'm i'm taking out of this thank you